0: Thank you, Judy. It's a great message. Well, on Sunday nights, I've been starting a new series. Uh, We like to look up to people. We need role models. We need heroes. And as we look at Hebrews 11, we often refer to it as the Hall of Faith. And... Many of the role models today that are put on a pedestal um, that get over coverage in the different types of media, quite honestly, it is more a hall of shame. I wonder in our culture if anybody blushes anymore. Things that I see. And my whole point of this, I want to be careful, I don't want to go too far with man, they act like that because they're lost. I don't want to attack them. I don't want us ever to be a people. I don't want Kingsway Baptist Church to be known for what we're against. I want us to be known for who we are for. And that's Jesus. And for people. We want people to know we do care about you. That there's more than trying to constantly impress everybody. Because the truth is we all know this forget it man we need help (laughs) that's what the Bible declares and we know that that's the ultimate truth last time I did a message we're going to Hebrews 11 we looked at the only superhero in the group and that's God himself as it spoke of in verse 3 of Hebrews 11 today it's interesting the first person who is mentioned is a guy named Abel and he was the first one who lost his life for what he believed I think that's interesting but Hebrews 11 verse 4 ask when you find that. that's to be our one verse and we're going to spend time in Genesis 3 and 4 as well by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice a righteous than Cain did by faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the testimony of this hero, Father, of the faith. And I pray that as we look at the message we receive from the life of Abel, Father, may our hearts be moved. Whether we realize it or not, we may be somebody's influence I don't feel worthy to be called a hero, but Father, I guess uh, we don't know. We don't know when people watch us, you know, we just don't know. So help us, Father, turn to you, because that's when we're doing what's right. Uh, Speak to us tonight as we look at your child, Abel. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we look at this first person in the Hall of Faith, it puts to it really contradicts the whole idea that if you follow God with a full heart, you will have blessings immeasurable. More money, more friends, more everything that your heart desires as far as material things go. Um, In one of Joel Osteen's books, he gives us 31 promises to speak over your life. So that you can receive some of these blessings. Uh, Here's the very first one of those. I declare God's incredible blessings over my life. I will see an explosion of God's goodness. A sudden widespread increase. I will experience the surpassing greatness of God's favor. (laughs) It will elevate me to a level higher than I ever dreamed of. Yeah, for Abel, it elevated him right to heaven. But uh, anyway... uh, Osteen goes on to declare, explosive blessings are coming my way. So how do we define explosive? If we listen to Abel's testimony, I doubt that his formula would sell many books or be followed because he ended up murdered by his brother. You see, as we look in these heroes... In Hebrews chapter 11, what we find is not an emphasis on making decisions. What we find is an emphasis on making disciples. People who desire to follow our Master and our Lord. You see, decisions take a moment. Discipleship takes a lifetime of following our Master. You see, there's a difference between an acorn and a mighty oak. The acorn has to be planted, and it takes time for it to grow to its stature as a mighty oak. And becoming strong in the Lord takes time of walking with Him. There's a difference between uh, some types of artificial pancake syrup and that good old maple syrup. Praise God for crackers. Where you can go, and you can get one of those breakfasts. I, I'm, I'm afraid to start describing it too much detail. Y'all might just walk out of here and go to Cracker Barrel and get something to eat. But those wonderful pancakes come to your table, and 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 you know you got the you've got the opportunity to ask for maple syrup. That they'll bring to your table in that little bottle of liquid gold. And and it's better than, you know, these hungry jack jack types of syrups. <laughs> this is the real stuff. It's not artificial. It it takes a lot of work. That's why it's so expensive. The traditional method of making maple syrup, they go into the woods and they find what they call the sugar bush. <laughs> and they drill. With hand drills, small holes into the trunks of the maple trees. And then they put in a tube called a spile. And then they hang a bucket on each spile. And the sap drips, one drip at a time, into those buckets. On a good day, through 50 trees, they might be able to accumulate 40 gallons of sap. And then they take those buckets and they pour them into large kettles and they cook them over an open fire and the sap comes to a slow boil and as it boils the water content is reduced and the sugars are concentrated and hours later you get that wonderful golden brown color and flavor it's strained several times to remove any impurities and then it's reheated all over again 40 gallons of maple syrup will be needed to produce only 1 gallon of pure Maple syrup. That's why the stuff's so expensive. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And there's a lot of time and commitment that goes into a walk that's precious before God. As we look at Abel's life here in verse 4, we read that it is by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain by faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead now let's go back to Genesis chapters 3 and 4 and look at the original account of Abel so we go back to chapter 3 and we read about the fall of mankind and Adam and Eve are exposed for their sin, confronted by God for eating that forbidden fruit. And there's a series of curses and they are expelled from the garden. And of course we read uh, in verse 15 about the curse to the serpent. He said, Cursed are you above all the livestock and the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat the dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and your woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. As there is a prophecy here saying that, yes, there will be a time of damage and destruction that the very enemy of God will bring forth. To God's people. But it is a limited time. There will be a time where he will be crushed. Where he will be totally defeated. But for now in Genesis 3. They are barred from the garden. Because of their sin. Look in verse 21 of chapter 3. It says. The Lord God made garments of sin. For Adam and his wife. And clothed them." This is the first act. Of atonement. A a payment for sin. It effectively covered the guilt of sin. This first death. These garments that were made that required the death of animals. And the first picture of a coming redeemer who had become the final sacrifice for sin. You, You see, Adam and Eve had attempted to cover their guilt with fig leaves. That's the first man-made attempt at false religion to cover a a guilty conscience. The problem is God can see through fig leaves. (laughs) God provided them clothing from the bloodshed of an innocent, innocent animal. And he effectively teaches Adam and Eve. That it is through the blood that sin is covered. And it is a picture of a coming one who will permanently pay our sin. What's interesting here, there's no argument of God's atonement. Although they pay a price, they're kicked out of the garden, they're barred from returning. There's an evidence that they trust in his atoning provision and they follow him. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Instead of being bitterness, instead of fighting God, they decide, even though they've been kicked out of the garden, to follow God and to continue forward. It's interesting that they gave birth to Cain, his very name. We believe means to get something or even he's here. There are some scholars that believe that when this baby was born, that Eve believed that this was the redeemer that was being talked about in that promise that he was going to be the ones to set things straight that they had destroyed and be able to heal the separation from God. Unfortunately, we know that Cain was not the answer. As a matter of fact, later, Cain would murder his brother Abel. As we read on, uh, verse 2, we discover uh, that Abel, he kept the flocks. He got his degree in animal husbandry. And then Cain, well, he worked the soil. He got his degree in agriculture. And keep in mind that they knew the system of redemption. We treat this passage like it is a one-time occurrence. But if you really study the scriptures and you look deeper, you realize that this was not a one-time occurrence. This was a way of worship that happened annually. In verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Uh, that phrase, the course of time or in some translations, the end of days could be translated revolution of days or literally at the end of the year. And so the picture that is being given here is that this was an annual sacrifice that God had put in place to come before him to account For sin. This was a yearly act of atonement. In chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. We have the creation of man. In chapter 2 we have communion. Between God and man. In chapter 3 we have corruption away from God. As sin enters the equation. In chapter 4 we have confession before God. And there is atonement. In verse 3. We notice that Cain brought his offering of the fruits of the soil. And Abel, the next verse, brought an offering from the fat portions of some of the firstborns of his flock. It says that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was down. At a superficial reading, there's the picture here that well, Cain he just got the raw deal. He 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 took the wrong straw, you know, when they drew straws. He 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 took the wrong job, the wrong vocation. <laughs> it, what a bummer, poor Cain! And yet, when you you look at how long people lived in those days, uh, there's an estimate here of of going back and looking through the scriptures that at this time in chapter four. That Cain was approximately 120 years old. Abel not much younger than that. Around that same amount of age. That was pretty young in those days. You know Adam lived to be over 900 years old. 930 years. So you know 120. He's still a pretty young guy. But God's sacrifice at the altar. Had been in place. Not just at this scripture. But for many years before. The point is that this very well could have been occurring for over a hundred years. That every year for a hundred years they would come to the altar. And they would come according to God's ways. According to the sacrifice of blood. This was not something new that occurred. This wasn't the first appearance of this worship ritual, this demand by God. But what does change is that this time Cain decides he doesn't want to do it the same old way. He wants to come in a new way. He effectively says, I'm tired of getting animals from my brother's ranch I'm just as significant to God. I work as hard as anybody. What's the big deal? This year, I'm doing it my way. I'm going to bring my blue ribbon vegetables and fruits to the altar of God. You see, this didn't just happen. The old serpent, the devil himself, he had a hundred years to sit back and tempt Cain. Are you sure this is the only way to God? Are you sure this is the only type of sacrifice that God demands? I mean, don't you deserve to bring a sacrifice that you think is better, you think is best? I mean, come on. Aren't we taking God's command just a little too seriously? I mean, you do believe in Him. You do have a perfect attendance record. You've been doing this every year. You've been coming, and a hundred times or more... uh, Never mind that it's fruit. This is your sacrifice, Cain. I'm sure God won't mind. You know what you have here? This is the beginning of world religions. Apart from the true relationship that comes through atonement. Through the work of a blood sacrifice. It looks all good. It might look like maple syrup, but it's a cheap imitation. (laughs) Both Cain and Abel come to the prescribed sacrifice. They come at the same time. They use the same altar. They both demonstrate faith to an invisible God. As they approach. To take an offering. The difference is. Abel is bringing. What God wanted. And Cain is bringing. What he wanted. And that made. All. The difference. Abel is following God's divine revelation. He's following God's commands. Cain. Is following his own desires. One is looking to a future Messiah, to a future cross. The other is putting himself on a pedestal and ignoring the cross. Jude eleven, a little book, in the back of the Bible. There's a phrase in there. It says the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? It, It is to rely upon Cain's works. Cain was the one, as he watched that fruit and those vegetables grow in the soil, he said, This is the work of my hands that I'm bringing before God. It it is the one that says, It's my religious works, it's my practices. It's my church attendance. It's my faithfulness week after week and day after day before God that others see that makes the difference. But the truth of the matter is, it's never been about our performance. It's always been about His provision. That's the work of the cross that makes all the difference. You see, Cain was simply offering his version of wearing fig leaves Of trying to cover the guilt instead of having the guilt removed by a sacrifice, by an atonement. You see, the Garden of Eden, after the fall of man, uh, through the Old Testament up to the cross, it illustrated that the way to forgiveness was under lock and key. Had to be freed. There's no mention in this text in Genesis 4 of building an altar because the altar was there. As I said, it had been there, I believe, for a long time. They had been using it for years and years. Uh, Genesis 3, verse 24. It says, After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. It's on the east side. Many scholars believe possibly that's where this tragic sin occurred. On the east side of the garden of the forbidden fruit and where they would be kicked out of The garden where they were not able to to enter in because of that sin. It's not coincidental that as you go through the scriptures, as they would worship in the tabernacle and they worshiped in the temple, they would both approach from the east side. You see, from from the east side, where the cherubim guarded, there was still a, a reminder of, of the fact that sin had disbarred them, had, had taken them out of the garden, of the place of, of tranquility that God had prepared for them to fellowship and to walk with Him. It's interesting as you go down through the Scriptures, as you think about the cherubim, and you see where there's evidence of the cherubim. Um... When there were directions given for the construction of a tabernacle. That moving tent that was a holy place to worship the one true God. It placed in the center was the Holy of Holies. And, and, and resting there was the Ark of the Covenant. That gold box with the tablet of the law that came to Moses. Brought before the people as they would come into the Holy of Holies. First, they'd come into the Holy place, and then there was this heavy curtain that divided the Holy place from the Holy of Holies. That most sacred place that could only be entered once a year, and only then by the high priest. Sewn upon the fabric of that curtain that separated the Holy place from the Holy of Holies were figures. Of cherubim. You see the cherubim were still guarding the way. Between the holy place and the holy of holies. The most sacred place. They could still only come to God from a distance. They could not come close. Later from the tabernacle to the temple. There was a curtain. And still sewn into the fabric of that curtain. Were the cherubim. These angel warriors. That were still guarding. The separation of man. Before God. God. You see, in the temple, first Kings chapter six, we learned that there are huge sculpted cherubim standing guard in the inner sanctuary, 15 feet high, with their wings spread out another 15 feet. And the message from the Garden of Eden was still alive and well, as the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, he entered with fear and trembling, wondering if he would even make it out alive because it was a holy place. And he would come and he would bear the blood of an innocent animal. And he would slip under the folds of that heavy curtain. Where there was sewed in these angelic warriors. These cherubim. And then as he came in. And as he looked at the Ark of the Covenant. Coming up on each side of the Ark of the Covenant. Were these gold angels. These cherubim. Rising on each side of that box. Hovering over it. Still a reminder. Of the separation of mankind from God, Exodus 25. But the priest would sprinkle blood on the lid of that holy box called the mercy seat, and God would temporarily cover the sins of the transgressors. And we know, though, that that pointed. It was a picture, a foreshadow that points to the ultimate sacrifice that occurred upon a wooden altar, the cross. As our Savior, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, would pay the price for all of eternity. And that curtain in the temple that had the cherubim sewed in, it would rip from the top to the bottom. And access would be gained. No longer would a separation be guarded. But there would be an open invitation from the Lord God that came to Christ. Horatius Bonar, a preacher of the past, said it this way. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh is born can make my spirit whole. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. No other work save thine, no other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safe." It's interesting as we come back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, and we see the testimony of this hero. It tells us, uh, by faith, when he was commended as a righteous man, his life's worth following, guys. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. So what was he commended for? It doesn't say specifically in this text, this verse. But a study of Scripture and as you look at other sacrifices in which God received and commended these sacrifices, there is a common occurrence. Uh, I'll read some of these. Uh, When Aaron gave his sacrifice at Leviticus 9, God accepted it. And as a result, fire came from heaven and burned up. That sacrifice. Gideon in Judges chapter 6. When he presented his sacrifice. He watched as God sent fire. That came from the angel of the Lord. And burned up that sacrifice. We talked this morning about Elijah. And how the fire came down from heaven. And burned up the sacrifice. As he prayed for God. To reveal himself as the one true God. King David in 1 Chronicles 21 26, as he offered a solemn sacrifice to God, it says God answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar. In Second Chronicles 7, Solomon offered to God the sacrifices of praise at the dedication of the temple. The Bible says there that fire came down from heaven and consumed every sacrifice. In each case of a sacrifice that was accepted by God, fire Occurred it we don't know it very very well at those sacrifices at the altar each year that Cain and Abel would come the sacrifice that was received fire would come down and receive those sacrifices because they came from an honest heart and there was atonement that was made for their sin at that place. Within the side of the cherubim, as they guarded the entrance into heaven, the fire would come down and lick up those sacrifices. And God thus would say, I am pleased. Cain had brought an animal a hundred times before, received and accepted. But this time he came with a different sacrifice. And as the fire came down and, and, and took the sacrifice of his brother Abel, no fire came down. To receive his sacrifice. Because it was not a worthy sacrifice. It was not the type of sacrifice. That God commanded. So what do I think occurred? Jealousy. Envy. God, what do you mean? Why are you accepting his sacrifice and not mine? I've been faithful to you. in the devil whispering in his ear. Yeah. God's playing favorites. He really doesn't love you as. Much as he loves your brother, Abel. Abel lost his life. Well, that really preaches, doesn't it? Follow God. Do what he says. Speak for him. Love him. And you're going to get murdered. <laughs> That's not what we sign up for. And in this instance that he did what was right. He lived what was right. Unfortunately, he paid a price. So what do we learn? It says he still speaks. It says that we still learn from this hero. We still learn from Abel. What do we learn? Well, just a couple of suggestions. There's only one sacrifice. Only one sacrifice. It's the sacrifice that God has given at Calvary. That's the sacrifice. Jesus. Um, that's the one that pays the price for sin. Not the way of Cain. That's every other type of sacrifice. Every other road. Every other religion. Uh, it might be brown, sticky, sweet. But it's not maple syrup. Artificial stuff. Um, Jesus Christ of faith in him alone. Provides us Entrance. To God, into heaven. You see, Abel. He acknowledges God's right to exile him. He didn't argue that he didn't deserve to be kicked out of the garden. Um, and he 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 acknowledged he's a sinner. He didn't fight over the idea of a covering, of atonement, of the sacrifice. He didn't fight over the prophecy of the the coming seed of the woman, of the coming Redeemer who will fill the fire of God's wrath of a sacrifice upon the cross, of a sacrifice where doors would be opened and reopened. He came His way instead of Christ's way. That's ultimately where Cain missed the mark. That's ultimately where Abel lost his life. As he followed the hope of that one perfect sacrifice. One commentator said it this way. Abel's sacrifice was one lamb for one person. Later, Passover. One lamb for one family. Then the day of atonement. One lamb for. For the nation. Then Calvary. One sinless lamb of God for the whole world. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. so That we shouldn't perish. (laughs) But have life forever. Everlasting life. I believe if Abel wanted to sing a hymn with us. This is a pretty good one. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a chance to look at your servant, a worthwhile role model, Abel. Thank you, Father, that all those years he came, Father, with a sacrifice that you commanded. Father, uh, there sometimes we are fooled into thinking that it is our performance that matters most. It never has been, Lord. It has always been your provision. It has always been the way that you tell us to approach you that matters. It's still that way. It's still through Christ, the one way to heaven, that salvation comes, Lord. Father, as we come to this time, we call invitation. Look at our hearts, Father. I think of what David said at the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Master, uh, what do you want to say to us? Uh, Father, on a Sunday night as I look out, I I see your people. It's not an evangelistic meeting. It's it's a meeting of discipleship. Uh, We don't want to be acorns. We want to be oak trees, Lord. As we uh, leave this place, Father, may we leave with the truth that there is one way, one hope, one Savior, one Lord, one way and father as we step out this week may our lives speak it and may our lives live it that you might be glorified and that others might learn about your way the way of the cross so as we stand as we sing uh, draw us to you whether it's to the altar or where we are or however you want us to move move us in christ's name we pray amen